0: Good morning. So at the start of every semester, we do a little bit of a check-in and talk about why, why chapel? Why does Northwestern put such an emphasis, a high value on chapel? And so um, that's what I want to talk about today. But I wanna talk about it from a perspective not about rules and a lot of heady reasons about why chapel. I wanna share my heart with you about why am I involved in chapel? Why did I change roles and, uh, three years ago and get involved with daily chapel? We read in the book of John a commandment. Jesus gave a new commandment. He said, love each other, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And you may think, well, what does that have to do with chapel? That's what chapel really is all about. How do we walk out this commandment? How do we live out this commandment? Jesus only gave us one new commandment, so we We probably should pay attention to it. To love one another. And throughout the rest of scripture, throughout history, people have tried to determine what does that mean? To live out that scripture. Can you advance the slide? There we go. As soon as I asked. So the Apostle Paul wrote this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And Dallas Willard, again, looking at what does it mean to love, wrote in The Divine Conspiracy, Jesus does not call us to do what he did but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. So Dallas Willard isn't saying don't do what Jesus did, he's saying don't start there. Don't let the thought about I need to do what Jesus did, did, don't let that be the starting point. That the starting point for us if we're looking at how did Jesus show up in the world? How did Jesus love? If we're looking to, as Paul said, imitate Jesus's life, then a natural expression of our lives in God will express love. So Monday, Dr. Curitan showed, among the funny videos that he showed, he showed a video from the TV program, uh, What Would You Do? And the video clip highlighted the bystander effect. And the bystander effect got that name back in the the 60s based on a, a, a murder of a young woman called Kitty Genovese. And about 30 people heard or saw her murder. She was attacked twice by a man and nobody stepped in. And it was, it was horrifying and fascinating, and people have studied it trying to determine what caused that apathy. And the bystander effect is when people decide somebody else will do it. There are other people around. Somebody, surely, is going to step in, and so people hold back. So Dr. Curidan's charge to us, he asked us to consider and to decide now what we would do if in a split second we had to make a decision to act. And he appealed to several scriptures. How would we show up? And you can't wait until that moment to decide. Because if we wait until that moment to decide, we'll hesitate. And we won't act. And we'll look around and we'll wait for someone else. Uh, Yesterday, a panel of current students and alums uh, talked about their experiences of chapel and what ways chapel shaped them as a spiritual discipline. I want to talk today about. Who we're becoming. The passage that Jesus invited us to with the new commandment that Paul fleshes out all throughout the the New Testament about what it means to love. And I want to start with a story about a moment in time that when it was happening I didn't know how impactful it would be in my life. But I have gone back to this moment over and over, and and probably all of you can think of times, moments where right in the middle of the moment, you're thinking, I'll probably remember this forever. I've had those moments too, but this was not one of them. This was a moment a long time ago. I was in sixth grade, so you know how long ago that was. You're supposed to laugh. (laughs) Long time ago, not that much. I was in sixth grade, and I had a decision to make. I was, a, I was a good student, but I was on the verge of getting in a lot of trouble. And I had to decide, was I going to be the good student and the student who could be depended on to do the right thing, or was I going to go with the crowd who was, they looked like they were having more fun, and they were in trouble a lot, and they were rebellious and I had one foot straddled on each side. And I had a teacher who cared enough to get in my face and ask me who I was going to be. So Nina, what are you going to do? Because you have to decide. You can't play both sides. You have to make a decision. Who do you want to be? And that question has stuck with me, and I've had to reflect back on that many times. And at that point, I was not a follower of Christ. I don't know that she was a follower of Christ. So she wasn't asking me that question from a spiritual perspective. She was asking me that question just as a practical thing. Who are you, girl? Because one minute you're behaving this way and another minute you're behaving this way, who are you? And it was a confrontation and it was one that I needed. And as I said, I've gone back to that multiple times. Now, none of us show up in a moment like that in isolation. We don't, we're shaped by our environment. So when I was at that moment, it wasn't just a, a rebellion or a temptation to be rebellious just because. This was at the very tail end of the civil rights movement. And I was shaped by a culture of protest and dissent and chaos. When I was five years old, our president was killed. I mean, we haven't had that since. But in 1963, i just turned five years old, And President Kennedy was assassinated. And it rocked the world. And it was one of the first times I heard my father cry. And I remember being outside playing and everything got still. Like the neighborhood was still. And then you could hear weeping. You could hear confusion. Chaos. Conspiracy theories. Just a few months before that, there had been elation. Dr. King had given the I Have a Dream speech on the Washington Mall. Hope permeated. That was in August. In September, a church was bombed in Birmingham, Alabama, and four little girls were killed in Sunday school. The roller coaster of that time period. So we think today is chaotic and now is chaotic. It was really chaotic back then. President Kennedy is killed just two months after that. The chaos, the hope, the tragedies of the civil rights movement, people who put their faith on the line and their lives on the line for a greater cause. Protest around the the Vietnam War. I lost a cousin. Uh, he had just gotten to Vietnam and died in his first week in Vietnam. So all of that is happening in the backdrop of shaping who I'm becoming. And then on April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King was killed. He was assassinated. And I heard my father wail. My father's a strong man, and so that was always a marker for me. Okay, dad is upset to the point of he's distraught. A few months later, Bobby Kennedy is assassinated. And for those of you who study history, you know, the, the Democratic Convention, the riots, it, it, it was a completely chaotic time in our nation's history. And that was the time period where I was growing up. So who was I gonna be? Who was I going to trust? Who were going to be the people that I looked to as the leaders? As, because it seemed like everybody I looked to was cut down. They were killed. They were eliminated. Who can you trust? So in steps this teacher, who I didn't mention when I shared it the first time, this teacher was white. And you might say that shouldn't matter. But now that I've given you the context, it mattered that she cared enough about me, that it wasn't a chastisement because I was black, it was because she cared enough about me, she saw the pain that I was in, and she took the risk to speak into my life and call me to make a decision that has forever shaped my life. Who am I gonna be? And then as I came to faith, that gave context to what does that question really mean? Who is God inviting me to be? Because I have some choices in it. We all, all of us in this room have made a profession of faith. But for all of us, we have a unique journey to walk out. So why chapel? Because in this room, we get a chance to hear from a lot of speakers. We get a chance to have some confrontations. And here's why that's important because we're living in a time period where we really get to carefully curate what we hear. This is the first time in history where we get to decide completely what we engage with. Again, I'm old. When I was growing up, what came on TV came on TV. What came on the radio came on the radio. So I listened to music that I might not have listened to because that's what was on the radio. I watched TV programs. I heard news. It's what was presented. We get to decide now. So we actually get to lean really hard into our preferences. And we don't have to listen to anybody we don't want to listen to. And most of us aren't even aware of how much we are shaping completely what we hear. Because we can. But does that mean we should? So Cole, on the panel yesterday, Cole Hansen, talked about when he came to Northwestern, what he discovered was as people chose churches, they tended to choose churches in one or two ways. Either they chose a church that was really exactly like the one they grew up with or, or as close as they could as possible, or they chose one that was completely different because they didn't like the church they grew up in. So even in the choosing of a church, we kind of decide that there's pretty much a lane of theological, excuse me, theological teachings that we're going to hear, ecclesiastical practices that we're gonna engage with. So everything from choosing churches to podcasts, to the blogs that we read, to the news sources, we're choosing them and we can completely Disregard anything we don't want to hear. And in that, we become fat in some areas. It's not even that what we're choosing is bad. It's just we become fat in some areas and completely anemic in others. We become lopsided. And when we get too much information in one direction, that becomes our entire worldview if we're not careful. And the people that we're with are reading and listening to the same thing. So after a while, it seems like, well, of course, everybody believes this. Everybody I know believes that. All of the sources that I'm reading or hearing say that. And yet, a whole other area of life becomes neglected. So, one of the things that happens in chapel is chapel's a confrontation because you don't choose. You show up here, and you don't know what perspective you're going to hear. And some of the perspectives you hear are going to be different than the blogs and the vlogs and the YouTube videos and whatever other sources. It's going to be different. And there can be the tendency to do this and push back and go, that's wrong. Or, as I've heard, Nina has a liberal social gospel agenda. I don't care how you vote. Hear me, I I don't care. Here's what I care about. I care that you live authentically the life that God has invited you to. I care that you care about the world. That you live out Jesus' commandment to love one another. That's what I care about all day long. All day long, that's what I care about. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to bring people that will cause you to go, whoa, wait a minute, that's new. And so there's always the deeper question and the deeper invitation. Because the first reaction can be, I don't like that. That's valid. I I don't like that. Go deeper. Why don't I like that? Well, I don't like it because it's different than what I've heard before. Okay, go deeper. Keep going deeper. Invite God into the wondering. Have conversations among yourselves. Don't be afraid to disagree. Don't be afraid of conflict. We're going to have conflict. We're going to disagree about things. And if we can't do this in the church, what hope is there? If we who have a common foundation and our love for Jesus and our commandment to be the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus, if we can't engage in difficult conversations, there is no hope. So we have to do it. We have to press past the discomfort, and we have to do it, and we have to be willing to agree to disagree. But we have to be willing to come to this humbly and to say, I don't know. And that's part of the challenge of getting a whole lot of information in one area because pride happens. Earlier this fall, Justin introduced a a paradigm of context, a framework for us to look at pride called the pride divide. And he talked about resistors and resenters. that when there's something new, One group of people embraces it, and they're all in, and they resent the people who don't embrace it. And the resistors are going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And they can actually dig in their heels even more because the resenters are telling them what they need to do. So that pride divide, when he introduced it, was around prayer, but it fits really in multiple areas, including how we look at information that's presented to us that's different than what we think it should be or different than what we've heard. So we have to resist. We actually have to be countercultural. When we're looking at news, when we're presented with something that's different, we actually have to be countercultural and we have to be good soil. So Jesus was always teaching with parables. And he gave context around those parables only to those who he thought would understand. And those were the people he was building into, his disciples. Not just the 12 apostles, but the disciples, the people who were following him. He gave more context to the parables. And one of the parables was the parable of the farmer scattering seed. So one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew upon it and choked out the tender plants, and still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples later asked him what the parable meant, and he replied, You were permitted to know all the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. That when they look, they won't really see. And when they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. And then Jesus tells the parable that relates to the song that we sang at the start, which I didn't know we were going to sing, which was this little light of mine about we don't hide our lights under a bushel. And then he said these words. So pay attention to how you hear. Pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. So how we listen matters. So the mission of chapel, is encountering God together in community. That chapel is an opportunity to daily gather for a shared experience of worship and engagement with creative and diverse content that encourages, challenges, and invites a life of faith, hope, love, and service. Every chapel is planned with these values in mind, that it be Christ-centered, that we remember what Jesus taught us. That it be transformation focused, meaning we're not taking in the content just to get more information. That we're actually taking it in and inviting God to transform our lives. And that it be community oriented. That it wouldn't be me and my faith with God, that we would have conversations about what we hear, that we would wrestle with concepts that are challenging or difficult, or maybe a confrontation to what we've always believed about the world. So, in other words, the mission of chapel is spiritual formation. It is one method. Chapel is not the end-all. Chapel is not how we become spiritually formed. Chapel is a mechanism, one of many but it's one that we put a high value on, because if we're all hearing the same thing together, then we can go in different ways and in different groupings and have conversation. So we define spiritual formation as the process of responding to the love of God and humbly participating with the Holy Spirit and being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Spiritual formation reveals God's glory and enriches our lives, and it empowers us to express love within the world. So I wanna go back to that passage that I just read. Pay attention to how you hear, is what Jesus told us. The how matters. Are we hearing with complete skepticism, apathy, or are we engaging with God's word and hearing with an openness, even though it may confront everything that we've thought we've known to be true. Will we be open? Because Jesus said, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. A passage that you're familiar with, but I want to read two verses before. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O oh people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is what's required. And humility is is the foundation. You're at university. Your role is to learn, that is your job. It is to learn, it is to be critical thinkers. Not to be critical, but to be critical thinkers. To take in what's presented to you and examine it. That's what you're called to do but to do that with humility, to do that with the purpose in mind of how will this shape you? In your chosen profession, how will it shape you? Who will you become? (laughs) Dallas Willard wrote in that same book, The Divine Conspiracy, we were built to count. As water is made to run downhill, we are placed in a specific context to count in ways no one else does. That is our destiny. That it is not an accident that any of us are on earth at this specific moment in time. And there is a work for us to do. But before we get about that work that we're to do, we need to decide who we're gonna be. Who is the we that shows up in that work? Are we gonna be showing up formed in the image of Christ? Committed to living out The love of God, in all the ways that that comes, because sometimes the love of God is a full-on frontal confrontation. And sometimes it's a comforting hug. Will we take up our call? Martin Luther King, in his letter from a Birmingham jail, wrote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. So what we do matters. And even if we say, well, that, that thing over there, that's not really my problem, or bystander effect, somebody's going to address that, right? We're all tied to it. We're not victims of the world that we live in. We are active participants if we're following Christ. Now, you know I can't speak without a Lord of the Rings reference. Has to show up somewhere. And this is one of my favorites because it's again, a call. And it's an acknowledgement that you didn't ask for the world that you inherited. Frodo said, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times as the ones that we live in right now. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. That's all you have to do is decide who will you be right here, right now in the time that is given you. You didn't ask to be born and live in this time, but you're here. Make it count. Why chapel? because it gives you an opportunity. It gives you an opportunity to engage with topics that you might not have engaged with. And you might still walk away going, I don't know that that's mine to press into, but that is somebody's and I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna pray that everybody will take up their call. So bow with me as we close. Lord, I pray that we would take seriously your call to us to show up as ones who are deeply loved that we don't try to do any of this in our own strength that we rely on your holy spirit to empower us to guide us to urge us that we would remember that we have as in the book of hebrews tells us a great cloud of witnesses who are spurring us on, who are cheering us on, who walk this journey ahead of us. So Lord, I pray that we would rely on one another for strength as we are undergirded by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the students in this room, that everybody in this room would not allow apathy to hold us back, would not allow fear to hold us back, but that we would know if you were for us, who can be against us? Absolutely who, no one. So Lord, let us leave this room today remembering that, that you are indeed for us, so we have nothing to fear. We love you, Lord, we are grateful that we get to partner with you in your work your kingdom work. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' beautiful and precious and mighty name.